0: My mind is reeling, having had six conversations since the last service just ended. For the previous weeks, we've been trying to talk about flourishing relationships. And so for four weeks, we talked about God as love, and in the context of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we're invited to live relationships of love. I've been defining that from the words of Dallas Willard with an adaptation to will and do the good of another. Last week, we talked about flourishing relationships in the context of marriage, a husband and a wife. And this week, I'd like to talk about how do we flourish if we're not married. So, after the last service, or just now, I had six different people came up to me and shared different perspectives on things I said in the first service. So, uh, I'm going to start. I want to get the right posture. So, I'm going to bring a chair on the platform. So one of the things that I want to apologize for, and I've done this several weeks in a row, is I think I'm pretty attentive to our congregation, but I've not been attentive to enough to the world of those who are not married. And so what I've done the last several weeks, I've asked unmarried people to send me perspectives and thoughts and words and phrases, and I met with about 15. are some of the things single people, unmarried people sent me. So they are never married, divorced, betrayed, abused, widowed, widowers, same-sex attracted, or people who have known uh, sexual abuse in their homes. So I just took about 10 of their phrases and comments and words to me. So one writes, my spouse's affair has changed our family It has affected my children and has wounded me deeply. I'm a person filled with doubt. I live with shame. I'm very angry. And I live with high levels of fear. Another wrote, shared with me in person, since my husband died, I so miss the small things, like hugs. I met with a group of guys and then a group of women, all who struggle with pornography, and self-stimulation. Three married couples came to see me divorced because my husbands could not be engaged physically because of an addiction to pornography and self-stimulation. Talked about the brokenness of single people in that place, from that place. A college-age woman, a graduate school woman, struggling in a different state with cultural acceptance because all her friends are hooking up. She is being diminished and made fun of because she will not sleep with people in her class. Um, A same-sex attracted person wrote me. um, And I just explained that same-sex attracted people today, it's so difficult having the right language. And today, if you are same-sex attracted, an appropriate word is I am queer. So a queer person sent this to me. Scripture talks about the body of Christ being valuable to all people, one body, and we need each other. Why is it then that married people do not have space in their lives for those of us who are single? Another person wrote me. um, I wrestle with an eating disorder. Several weeks ago I talked about body dysphoria and hate And this person writes, this woman writes, I want to thank you for speaking the truth that my friends and I wrestle with our bodies, self-hatred, and what to do with food. Uh, One woman whose husband abused her and left her writes, "Uh, I, I feel so unlovable. I am thinking about our church family. I see three types of singles, the never married, the widow or widower, and the divorced. All are very different and unique. The unlovable would probably be those that are divorced and that were abused physically or mentally. And the physical touch is so needed and missed. Another woman writes to me, you've met with thousands of people in your 40 years. You've heard stories like mine. You've heard the hurt, you've watched the tears. People have not gone through a divorce or been close to someone that's divorced. Do not understand all the emotions that one experiences. Struggling with depression and a slippery slope is a big battle. Not receiving affirmations. I wish I could be seen and known as a single woman. And then someone whose spouse died talks about parents. If I recall my father died, my mother became a widow relatively young age. She shared with me that she was rarely included in social activities, and that included couples. At church she felt alone and ignored. I think she felt she was just taking up space and people did not want to be her to be around. There were almost forty years ago. I don't think a lot has changed. Since my spouse has died, people don't know what to do with me. So how do, how do those of us who are not married flourish in relationships? So let me just give you a couple little stories here, and then I'll, I'll bring the pulpit up. Um, you know how radical the early church was? When Jesus was born, Caesar Augustus was the ruler. This was legislation with Caesar Augustus. If a woman was divorced or her husband died she is required to get married within two years or the state would tax her or imprison her for mooching from the state. Now comes the body of Christ the new people of Jesus. If someone left a the baby they did not want in the side of the roads the church the body of Christ would take that baby and love that baby. If women who were abused or divorced or ignored to be invited in. Widows were cared for and fed and honored. And the church grew crazy fast because single people, unmarried people were welcomed into the life of the church. So the first slide I'm going to ask Jim to put up is simply this. Does the American church know what to do with single people? What do I mean by that? How do people who are not married live out their sexuality? If in a culture where you're supposed to be generally connected on a regular basis with someone, how do you flourish? Well, let's talk about that a bit together, can we? Can I invite you to open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter seven? It's kind of an interesting passage. I read it last week for for marriage as well. This time, St. Paul writes about Unmarried. Oh, I've got to tell you a great story, too, before I forget. Get your Bibles open to 1 Corinthians 7. I'll tell you a story. I'm going to read it to you, actually. It's just a paragraph. So, you know, I've been trying to talk with us together about to be, to be a people of love who will the good of the other. And I often use the phrase if we are those kinds of people, we don't try to love, we just do love naturally, easily, readily. I got this email. On Saturday morning, a person greeted me. He watches us online. I still follow online faithfully. I've been blessed by Third Church. Thank you. I'm talking about to will the good of the other easily, naturally, readily. I just wanted to pass on to you that I officiated the rivalry game in Pella last night, Pella Christian at Pella High. What a great game! What a great atmosphere. Now listen to what he wrote. This is a referee at a basketball game. I wanted to tell you that from the moment we walked into the gym, throughout the game until we left, we were treated with respect, kindness, and love. A referee. A referee. He said, it was a close game, heated rivalry, but all night long, the fans, the players, the coaches, the staff were respectful. I couldn't help but think that the people in Pella are increasingly choosing the narrow road, and they're willing the good of the other. He narrates, way to go, people of Pella. That's what we're talking about. Easily, readily, hmm, okay. So, having made my caveat that I don't know what I'm talking about in single people, let's look at First Corinthians chapter seven. Oh, just a quick historical fact. I'm gonna read it through first and then do some teaching to it. Was Jesus ever married? Did Jesus live a fulfilled, rich, beautiful life? Was St. Paul ever married? Yes, he was. His first wife probably died. So the words you're going to read are written by a man who was married and wife died and is now single. Listen to the words of someone who knows what it is to be married and knows what it is to be single. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, beginning at verse 25. Now about virgins, unmarried women, I I have no command from the Lord But I give a judgment as one who, by the Lord's mercy, is trustworthy. Now, why is he trustworthy? Because he has been married, and now he's single. He understands both. Because of the present crisis in the culture, I think it is good for a man to remain as he is. So he says to the men, Are you pledged to a woman? Do not seek to be released. Are you free from such a commitment? If the answer is yes, do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin, unmarried woman marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you this. So what I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they do not, those who mourn as if they did not, those who are happy as if they were not, Those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep. Those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them. For this world in all its present form is passing away. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs. How can he please the Lord? That's the question of his life. But a married man is concerned with the affairs of this world and particularly how he can please his wife. And his interests are divided. Now for women. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her, fa- her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a w- married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, in particular here, how she can please her husband. I'm saying this for your own good, but not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in a divide- undivided devotion to the Lord. Now specifically, in verses 29 through 31, what he's saying is, don't get so caught up in earthly things. That's a paraphrase. Verse 32, I'd like you to be free from these earthly concerns. An unmarried man, look at the sentence now, is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how we can please the Lord. And then verse 24, 34, an unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. Last phrase in verse 35. But that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. So what's he saying? What is this previously married man and now single man saying? He's saying marriage is good and unmarriage is good. The focus is to live a life of devotion to the Lord. That's what he's inviting them to know. To take you back to the Sermon on the Mount. When Jesus was talking to the Anavim, what did he say? Seek first my kingdom and my righteousness and all things will be given unto you. He's saying, focus. So what St. Paul is saying, who has been married, this is 90% accurate. He may not be what we think he is. He's saying, when I was a married man, I was so concerned about so many things and I lost my attention, my focus on the things of God. But now that I am an unmarried man, it is much easier for me to be focused on the things of God. So he said, No, both, both are good, both are valued, but he says it's actually easier to be a follower of Jesus unmarried. But there's a caveat. Here's the caveat. The caveat is that you are single, as a single unmarried person, you are known and welcomed and accepted in the body of Christ. And the thing that I have felt such grief about is that I, I believe, this is not intentional, I want to apologize again, I have not seen or known the world of single people. Now, look, look, at, this, look at the slide here. Number slide number... Uh, Number six, please, Jim. It is said the church does not know what to do with single people. If true, how might this impact our conversations around Christ honoring sexuality? So where I'm gonna go in a couple minutes is I'm gonna ask some questions. So I need a big umbrella of mercy. Remember, email's coming three more weeks. We're living in a culture that is calling us, inviting us, encouraging us, seducing us, pushing us to seek genital connections either by ourselves or with someone else for moments of pleasure and relief. I'm trying to be very careful with the mixed audience here. Am I speaking the truth about where our culture is? It is not uncommon today for a a couple who's seeking to be married, to have 10 to 15 sexual partners each. So in that light, how is it then, with all this soul ties with so many people, how are we well married? Um, Stay with me. So 43 years of being a pastor, I can tell you many stories of married people who share unfulfilling, unhappy, uh, not meaningful sexual relationships in their marriages. And oftentimes, I think single people, unmarried people, might feel I'm missing that. Well, I can tell you from experience, listening to many, the grass isn't always greener on the other side. So the question I'm really wrestling with all of us is: to live a full, fulfilled, fulfilled meaningful, flourishing life, do we have to have genital connections? And I think the answer is no. Jesus lived the most fulfilling of all lives. He flourished like crazy with all people. And he never had a sexual relationship. So he is, um, oh, he's God. No, 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 he was fully man. So let me push. As a man, a, a biological male, when he was 18 to 22, do you think his testosterone levels were as high as most 18- to 22-year-old they are? Or was he just kind of a eunuch? He didn't really have sex organs and testosterone. But he never had sex with anyone. And he lived a fulfilling, meaningful, flourishing life. So the question I'm trying to raise here for us is, Can we actually be the body of Christ, women and men, boys and girls, married or not married, who are actually with and for each other in ways that allow for flourishing? That's what I'm trying to poke at this morning. So let me just give you a couple questions and I'm gonna go back to the text if I could. Um, uh, Read that real quick. A couple real quick things. Number one. In 1 Corinthians 7, St. Paul reveals that both singleness and marriage are good, though legitimate, are Christ honoring. His longings for all to devote their energies to Christ and His kingdom. Stay with me, stay with me. So, when Jesus returns in a new heaven and new earth, I want you to envision that. Jesus has come back. We are in this, is, this is people from every nation, tribe, and tongue. Jesus is the center. How will you relate to every single person in the new heaven and new earth? With respect, honor, love, safety. You'll be soothed and encouraged and blessed. You will not be abused in any way. You will not be used sexually. You will not be abused or diminished in any way. You will be connected to every single person as a real live brother or sister in Jesus. Can you imagine what that's going to be like? You will be fulfilled in every relationship when Jesus returns. Do you have that picture? So what's St. Paul saying now? Practice it now. Practice life-giving, flourishing relationships in good, healthy, right ways. So if I'm an unmarried person, do you see me? Do you invite me? So I'm going to, this is real important because it's going to lead us to next week as well. My queer friends, same-sex attracted friends, say what we long for more than anything is to be invited into your family. We want to be in relationship with people. If there is no place for, for pe- if there's no place for unmarrieds in our lives, if they're just divorced and widowed and whatever they are, and they're just, if there's no place in the body of Christ, what, what, what does a single person do? How, do? how do we live? And then the culture keeps saying, well, it's about genitals, it's about genitals, it's about, so, so okay, okay. I just did a whole bunch of work on, on the hookup culture and, and it's just interesting to read um, the research about what happens when I just you and I just hook up for encounters and there's no ongoing relationship. And all the implications and, and complications that arise from that. So, so let me talk to you as your pastor now, in closed doors in my office for 30 years in this building, in this, this church. You have been sharing your sexual, many of you have shared your sexual situations and stories with me. And I got, so I'm honored to be invited in. But having said that, it's it's often, um, it's often very sad. Because of the choices we're making out of our own brokenness or pain, because of our shadow sides, because of many factors, We place ourselves in positions where we are wounded and deeply diminished at deeper and deeper levels. And that is not the intention, that's not the goodness of the kingdom of God. So I think what I'm inviting us into is can we can start to think about the body of Christ. Now, let me just hold this one second. Uh, Jim, page number from Mark 10. Look at Mark 10 here a second. And uh, page number's on the screen. And I wanna just, Talk about this brother and sister thing for just a minute. So in Mark 10, you have Jesus talking to children. You have a conversation about how can rich people get into the kingdom of God. In chapter 10, verse 26, the disciples are just amazed at what Jesus had just said. So chapter 10, 26. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? And Jesus looked at his disciples and said, with man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Then Peter spoke spoke up, we've left everything to follow you. Now look what Jesus says in verses 29 through 31. Truly I tell you, the old Revised Standard Version, verily, verily, no one who has left home, or brothers, or sisters, or mother, or father, or children, or fields for me in the gospel Will fail to receive as hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields. What's he talking about? Could you look up? He's talking about this. People who have said we will be devoted to Jesus and his kingdom, and his life, and his reign, they've gained brothers and sisters. They've gained family, beautiful family. That's the intent. See, this is, this is what's so crazy about the first century. If you read the first century documents, it was just nuts. <sighs> Let me go real fast. Church history. So it's interesting. The, the, the earliest evangelists for the, for the early church were basically women who were abused, misused, slaved, prostitutes. They were single women who were accepted into the body of Christ. And they were affirmed and honored and valued. And these women began to just be spread around the the Roman Empire. And they began to welcome, just welcome single people. They welcome anybody, everybody. And the church just exploded because all of a sudden, people who were slaves and poor, who were disenfranchised, remember if you're a widow for two years, you didn't get a husband, you get fined by the state, they're invited in. All of a sudden, there's this family, The, the, the relationships. You're seen, you're welcomed in smaller, these are not huge churches, these are house churches. You're invited, you're part, you're known, you're seen, you're, you're. and all of a sudden, the 56 one another's so the New Testament start to happen. And all of a sudden, this thing just spread. And there was no distinction between Roman or Greek, slave, free, synthetic, no, Men, no, no. Marriage here, single, no, no. St. Paul says, ooh, marriage is good. Singles might even be a little better. Why? because there's more freedom to him. We were to Christ in this kingdom. So what he's saying is marriage can lead to flourishing. And he said singleness, unmarried life can lead to flourishing, but the expectation is that we are the body of Christ. And, that, and that's the, so in, in America, which is based on independence and, and, and hard work, and make, this is so foreign. But this is the invitation. And I've said this to elders and deacon staff about sometime in previous months. My experience is, my guess is, in the next five to seven years, the sexual experimentation we are doing as a culture is gonna lead to levels of brokenness and pain that are gonna be off the charts. And if there is a community of people who will welcome and love and live the gospel. Holding the truth, absolutely, but expressing acts of love. We will see hundreds, if not thousands of people have an eternal relationship with Jesus. And we have the privilege of starting this now. So last week someone came up to me and with concern said, you're just watering down the gospel and we can't let sexually broken people in. And in my head, I'm thinking, who isn't? Did I ever tell you this story? <laughs> Funny as it was not. 40 years ago, I preached a sermon in California. And I don't, I don't know exactly what I said, but I remember the response. And somewhere I said something like, "If those of, if, if I'm taking Jesus' words literally, if you look at someone lustfully, you've committed adultery. And then all the things the scripture talks about, sexual brokenness. So I said from the front, in the Church of California, if if you have not sexually sinned in any way, how many of us would still be in the room? And I just said, I guess, probably not so many. After the service, I had some guy come up to me and just boom, 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 boom. Well, here's the sad thing. He was having sex with his daughters. And he is banging me in the front of the church living that kind of brokenness with his own family. That should never be. There should never be sexual abuse in this church family. There should never be any kind of abuse here among us. Is that fair? It should not be. We need to be welcoming and kind. We hold the truth, absolutely don't lose it, but we have to, so isn't it interesting? So, so this the same guy afterwards, he, I went back, circled back with him, the guy that here that was concerned of getting too soft, and I just said to him, I want you just to think this one through just a little bit with me. I said, well, I want you to think about Jesus and Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. What was he accused of? He was a friend of sinners. He was hanging out with wine bibbers. He was hanging out with prostitutes. So I said to this man who was unhappy with me, where must Jesus have been to hang out with prostitutes, wine and people on the margins? Well, I don't know. And I said to him very kindly, probably not in church. It's interesting, though. No? Jesus, everybody, was crazy about Jesus, except whom? The Religious elite. How could how all these broken people be so drawn to Jesus? Because Jesus is love. Father, Son, Spirit. First John four, remember we read it three weeks ago, first John four. God is love to will and do the good of the other. Well, let me go into a couple quick things. Um, You following me okay? Are we we hanging in? (laughs) No wonder I have shirts back there. Holy cow. Um, May seven, eight, nine, please, Jim. So this is a rhetorical question and I will give you my answer. Is it possible that those who choose chastity and celibacy experience greater freedom in christ in relationships? I think the answer can be yes. If, let me just use myself. So I'm a, a straight man, 68 years old, and I will use women, I'm a heterosexual male. I think you could ask our female staff, I think you could ask any woman part of this church family, I think, I hope, um, that they have a freedom in relationship with me because they know I'm not a predator. They know I will not look at them with lust. They know I will not diminish their sexuality. I will not make crude innuendo or comments. And that gives me a freedom in relationships with women that's fantastic. Lane never worries that I'm going to be unfaithful. And there's a freedom because women and I are safe with each other. That should be how we all are. Same-sex attracted, heterosexual. There there should be, no. See, on on Sunday nights I'm leading a class called uh, Something about the body. What does God say about the body? Listen to this. I want you to think about this in a second. And I never thought about it this deeply. If you read the scriptures clearly, and what St. Paul writes about sexual sin, I never thought about it so much like this. When I'm involved sexually with someone else, when you're involved with someone else other than a husband or wife, you are sinning against your own body. You hear what I just said? So if I'm engaged with someone else sexually, I'm not just diminishing my relationship with the Lord God Almighty, but I'm actually diminishing my own person, my own body. That's why St. Paul says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Would he, paraphrasing, would you be connected with your members? You know what I'm talking about? Members, will you be connected with your members to a prostitute, St. Paul writes? No, no. Because sexual sin is such a deep pain because it's a sin against our own person. And we carry that with us. Now, let me stop a second. This is why we emphasize healing prayer and confession. Why do we have confession every week? if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us, wash us clean. If you've had, if I've had, if we've had multiple sexual partners, the blood of Christ, the light of Christ, the cross of Christ can break the attachments and we can be free. This is why we have so much prayer ministry. I just want to say it to a word, if you feel shame about sexual pain, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus. There is opportunity to be set free. I have permission to tell this story. Last week I told this, this story and I'm going to give a second story. So last week's story was someone in the first service shared uh, a season of high levels of promiscuity and the pain and the loss this person felt because from Pella, the different persons that were slept with are seen regularly over the last 50 years. 50 years. And so when this person sees those people, this person reported to me shame, condemnation, revulsion, fear, all that. That was last week's story, email from yesterday. With permission, an affair occurs in the family. Two people, this person has an affair, tremendous work of the spirit, and they are together, and they are well. But a challenge has occurred because this person, who had an affair with this person, this person just joined Third Church. So all of a sudden, all kinds of feelings and emotions begin to rise. All kinds of memories and all kinds of things. If we confess our sins, there is no condemnation. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Do you see now, one more. This intended to be a funny story-ish to lighten it. One of my professors at seminary said once a year, you'd have come to church naked Sunday. Remember the story? Because oftentimes in church, there's a lot of pompacity, pompacity. What I drive, look what I have. And the professor said to me, You realize how much humility would be in the church if everybody came to church buck naked once? That's a, that's tend to be a a joke. (laughs) But think about the point. Think about the point. I'm quoting scripture there is not one righteous, no, not One, we are all forgiven by the blood of Jesus. Amen? All our sins are washed away. So, is it possible to have a Christ? Absolutely. Next slide, please. Will we reject the notion that denying single people a sex life and or spouse is denying them a fulfilled life? We have to reject the notion, but that requires us to be in relationship. And I'm going to be frank, it is difficult for unmarried people who long to experience physical, sexual things to deal with that. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Women, in your cycle, when you have a late, what does your body long for? Connection. That's how God made you. That's how babies are formed. That's how we procreate. If I'm an unmarried person and I have a deep desire as a man or a woman for relationships, for physical sex, how do I do that? What do I do? And I don't have an answer for you, but I think we can be supportive and caring and develop relationships and kindness, and then we need to exercise self-control. There are just some things we just must, we must with support, say no to. The next slide, please. We'll reject the myth that true love and intimacy are only found in the person we have sex with. Having listened to couples for 43 years, many couples do not experience love and intimacy in their sexual relationship. That's what's reported to me. Many do. Some do, some don't, many don't. I, if you're married, you know I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, I I'm. think I'm speaking the truth. So then, why do we, what do we do with that? It, can we be so gracious of spirit one with the other, so connecting with the others in non, Genital ways that we create honest, legitimate, flourishing intimacy without being involved sexually. Can we do that together? That's the invitation. The next slide. So, in St. Paul's assessment, is that singleness is good, blessed by God. In many cases, it's better than marriage. Eleven, and final one will be done. If we embrace more than 50 New Testament one another's, a beautiful cross-gender enrichment happens. Cross-gender with men and women. There's a beautiful thing if we can be the body of Christ together, which leads me to our action steps. Can I invite us to elevate friendship? Jesus said, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. Not only are we brothers and sisters, can we be friends? can be friends to each other, can be kind and attentive. I said two weeks ago, the first act of love may be paying attention, seeing. Again, I wanna apologize to our unmarried folks here. I've been trying for several years to invite us into neighborhood conversations, but those who are not married tell me it's the most awkward thing ever. Who do I talk to? Will anyone talk to me, even notice? Can we together elevate friendships with each other? I'm not talking 50, just one, two. Can we create relational space in our church family for new brothers and sisters, for people we respect and honor and cherish? We need to celebrate celibacy. We need to celebrate celibacy. Living within the guardrails that God's given us. And then we need to honor chastity. So my same-sex attracted friends who are celibate, I just, I just want to honor them. My, my heterosexual friends who are single, who are celibate, I want to honor them. Good job. How can I be in relationship in appropriate ways with you that you can still live out in a way that honors Jesus? Remember now how the passage begins? It's keeping our eyes focused on the affairs of the Lord. How are we? Are we okay? In the lobby, are we okay? All right. Let's pray. Lord, we want to say we thank you that you are so very good. We bless you, Lord. Can we just take a moment and pause if, if something I have said has stirred you if it's caused some hurt, if it's raised some questions, could you ask the Lord what you are to do with that? Listen for his still small voice. if something has been spoken that touches your own personal sexuality, if you're living with condemnation or shame, I invite you to give that moment, that experience, those feelings to the Lord. Listen to his heart. Consider his eyes looking at you with love. And hear the words, I forgive you. there's a single person, a married person that you've not seen, could you pray for that person and bless them in the name of Jesus? So Lord, we thank you that you are good, and you invite us to live in your goodness, O God. So as we receive the ministry of prayer, as we receive the body and blood of Christ, as we sing, we pray that we would honor you, receive from you, and give back to you. In Jesus' name, amen.